our resurrection or resurrections. And so I'd like to read the first 30 verses of John chapter 5. <clears throat> John 5 at verse 1, the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, the multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not, he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the Son that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Then these verses we focus on tonight, verse 24 and following. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. God's holy word, shall we ask the Lord to bless it to us. Father in heaven, we bow before you and your holy word, and we pray that we might hear tonight the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Visit us with grace and with power through your Holy Spirit, we pray. And be glorified in the proclamation of your word and in the home that it finds in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You remember the prophet from the Old Testament, Elisha. His death is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 13. And unlike his predecessor, Elijah, Elisha faced death. Elisha was put into a tomb, and then the next verse in 2 Kings 13 tells us of a subsequent burial, an unnamed man, and there were men busy with his funeral or burying him when they suddenly realized that the window for burials was closing because on the horizon were the raiders of the Moabites, and so they quickly threw the man's body into the tomb of Elisha. And when his body touched the bones of Elisha, he sprang to life and was resurrected. And God, through this miraculous working, was declaring to his people that there is life in the tomb, that there's life in the bones of Elisha, because Elisha represented the word of God. That, on top of the fact that Elijah had raised the widow's son and Elisha had raised the Shunammite's son, and now this sign that there is a God with power greater than death. All throughout Scripture, God proclaims that message that he has a power greater than the grave. And that power is increasingly revealed as a power to be found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and communicated to us by the word of Christ. There's another episode in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 37 where where God brings his prophet to a valley of dry bones, right? There's skeletons or there's scattered bones representing Israel. And God tells his prophet to prophesy and he prophesies and the bones come together. And he tells them to prophesy and call forth the wind and life comes and breathes life into these bones and they live. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. There are people with nothing but graves apart from God. People without hope 
dying people in a dead world. But the good news of Scripture, and this is the news of Scripture, that God has sent someone to our graveyard, his own beloved son, to die, to be buried, and to be raised from the dead so that we could live. And John 5 tells us, Jesus tells us there, of the power of his word to give life. And we want to look at these verses 24 through 30 of John 5. And there's, of course, a great deal that could be said, but I want to look at two main points, really dividing the text in half, considering, first of all, the first resurrection, the resurrection of our souls in this life, and then consider, secondly, the second resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies at Christ's coming. Well, in verse 25, Jesus seems to speak not just of the resurrection of the body, but especially of a spiritual resurrection when he says, verse 25, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. They will hear the voice of Christ and come to life. The teaching of the Bible is that by nature, we're all dead in our sins, right? We, we have no spiritual life. We have minds and hearts that are still active, but they are actively dead. There's no life or fellowship with God. There's no desire to please him. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2 says that the natural mind does not receive the things of the Spirit for their foolishness to him. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. So dead in sin means a lot of things, but it means we can't comprehend the Scriptures We can't understand God's ways because we're natural, unspiritual men. And not only that, but we're enemies of God, enemies of truth. Romans 8, 7 says that the carnal or fleshly mind is enmity or hostility against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. And so our life is really a graveyard. We are alienated from God. We're opposed to his kingdom. We have no delight in his righteousness. Our affections are twisted and wayward. We're dead in sin. But Christ has come into the graveyard to bring us life. And life is the greatest good in all of the world. It's to be reconciled to God, to know God. That's man's greatest good. And Jesus declares now that the hour has come. The hour of the gospel. The hour when people will be born again when their hearts will be made new and they'll be restored with with new obedience to the Lord. And how does it happen? Well, Jesus says in verse 25, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. thought about entitling tonight's message, The Voice, just a poke at the presumptuous TV show, The Voice. The Voice. You know, the reality competition. They try to find untapped talent and bring it on stage. And before judges and audience, they sing. And once in a while, there's somebody with an unbeforeknown, tremendous voice that, that wows the audience. It's so beautiful, it's so powerful. But there's really only one that can be called the voice. And that is the Son of God. He speaks. And in speaking, he gives life. He spoke and the world was made. 
He spoke and fishermen left their nets and followed. He spoke and demons fled. God's covenant people. He spoke and the storm died down. Jesus says here that people will hear his voice. They will live. They will live. He's speaking here not just about the, the outward summons of the gospel, but the inward call of the gospel by which he so powerfully changes hearts. The canons of Dord in the section that we call Irresistible Grace speaks of regeneration or being born again as a supernatural work. Article 12, and this is the regeneration, the new creation, the raising from the dead and the making alive so clearly proclaimed in the scriptures, which God works in us without our help. But this certainly does not happen only by outward teaching, by moral persuasion, or by such a way of working that after God has done his work, it remains in man's power, whether or not to be reborn or converted. Rather, it is an entirely supernatural work, one that is at the same time most powerful and most pleasing, a marvelous, hidden, and inexpressible work, which is not lesser than or inferior in power to that of creation or of raising the dead, as Scripture teaches. They will hear the voice of the Son of God and live. We were dead in our tombs, and we we couldn't bring ourselves out. We couldn't bring ourselves to life. No, No parent, though they were granted conceived children, they couldn't give us spiritual life. No preacher, no matter how hard he tried, couldn't give us spiritual life. No friends or neighbors. Not not the President of the United States with the most powerful military in the world. He couldn't dislodge the enemy from our hearts. But what no man or military might could do with a word, the Son of God does. The voice. And Jesus says he's able to do this, verse 26, because he has life in himself. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself. If you study theology, then you know that this is a proof text for one of the incommunicable attributes of God, namely his aseity or his independence. God, unlike all the universe, is dependent on no one. He is the self-existent I am. And Jesus says that as the Father has life in himself, he, the only begotten of the Father, is granted to have life in himself also. He is life, and he's able to give life by his word. Jesus here is wrestling with the the religious leaders, right, who chided him for healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus didn't back down. Heal on the Sabbath, he says, I'm the son of the Father. And then they really want to kill him. And now Christ is proclaiming his identity, isn't he, in the clearest of terms. How it is that so-called Jehovah's Witnesses want to come and argue that Christ is not the true Son of God when the very reason they want to kill Jesus because he makes himself equal with God, I, I cannot comprehend. It couldn't be clearer. Jesus is eternal God. And he says that he has life in himself so that he can speak and give life. He and the Father are one. And the hour has come now, he says. The, The age of the Messiah has come. 
And indeed, right, from here forward, what goes on in the world as you survey the last 2,000 years, but millions upon millions have come to new life. The voice is echoing. The, the Son of God is speaking. And as he calls like to Lazarus, Lazarus come out of the tomb. So through the preaching of the gospel over all the globe now, the Son of God is saying to sinners, come forth from your tombs. And people are being born again. The hour has come. This is a glorious age in which to live, isn't it? Glorious age in which to live. The Son of God is speaking on the earth. And what happens now makes all the difference for what happens later. Jesus says in verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into the judgment, but is passed from death into life. What happens on Judgment Day depends on this. Have I heard the word of Jesus? Have I believed in him? Have I heard with the ears of faith? Have I accepted the message? Have I put my trust in Christ Jesus? And if I have, then I already have everlasting life. It's a present possession. I've been acquitted before the judgment seat of God. There's no wrath that remains for me. So as Herman Ritterboss puts it, death then loses its all-threatening, ultimately critical character for the future. It is no longer ahead of a person, but behind him. If you've, if you've heard Jesus and believed in him, then death now is behind you. Death as the wrath and judgment of God, because death was died at the cross. We've passed from death into life. We've passed from the liability to eternal death into the joy of everlasting life. John Calvin writes, The meaning, therefore, is that we are beyond the danger of death because we are acquitted through the grace of Christ. And he goes on to say that Jesus specifically mentions the unconditional forgiveness of sins in which alone the happiness of man consists for then does a man begin to live when he has God reconciled to him. Then does a man begin to live when God has been reconciled to you. And then not even physical death will undo this joy. But now death, physical death, opens up into the glory of heaven to live as Christ, to die as gain, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And we behold the smiling face of God. We have life that will never be rescinded. And so it all comes down to one's relationship with Christ Jesus, doesn't it? The whole event of Judgment Day, when Christ returns, it all hinges on this, doesn't it? On our relationship to Christ Jesus. Have we believed on him? Have we confessed our sin and sought our refuge in him? So this is the first resurrection, to be born again. But then there's another resurrection day to come. And that's the second thing tonight. Verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which those who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So the first resurrection is all determinative for the second resurrection, because at the end of the long road of history stands Christ, the exalted one, as the righteous judge. 
You know, sometimes people say that, that all roads lead to God, and we say, no, they don't. But they really do, don't they? All roads lead to God. Not in the saving sense, but in the sense that all roads, no matter what course of journey anyone sets out on, no matter what goals they choose, no matter how they decide they're going to live their life, no matter what philosophy they're going to live by, all roads bring you smack dab to the throne of Christ Jesus for judgment day. And not merely your soul, but your body too. Christ says he's going to speak, and on judgment day everyone will rise, even the unbeliever, but he will be reconstituted for the sake of being judged and condemned. It's a powerful voice. Christ is going to speak and graves are going to break open. People are going to be remade. Jesus said to Letha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose. That was a judgment of life, right? A resurrection of life. But Christ is going to speak even to those who don't know him and command them to come out of their graves. And those who've tried to hide beneath rocks and called for mountains to fall upon them will hear this magnetic and compelling voice of Christ and they will come out. Remember reading or seeing something about the Battle of Iwo Jima and all the cave and tunnel networks there and how hard it was to rid the island of Japanese soldiers and how even after the U.S. won that that there were men hidden in caves for weeks who didn't surrender and I think even a couple guys for years. Not going to be like that at the end of time when the judge comes. He's going to speak and everyone's going to come out. J.C. Ryle writes, the passage is one of those that ought to sink down very deeply into our hearts and never be forgotten. All is not over when men die. Whether they like it or not, they will have to come forth from their graves at the last day to stand at Christ's bar. None can escape his summons. Revelation 20 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Every single human life has an appointment at the bar of justice. Every single road every ever taken will, will lead to stand before the great throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person and body and soul will give an account to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there are no exceptions. 
doesn't matter how powerful they were, how rich they were, how arrogant they were. It's their tag. Tongues wag through this world. Christ's voice will call them forth and they will come. They'll come forth at the same time. Not a thousand years in between the believer's resurrection and the unbeliever's resurrection. They will all come forth. And then there'll be an eternal separation. Because Christ the Lord will judge. Matthew 24, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And that great day of judgment will be according to works. I was hungry and you gave me food. Thirsty and you gave me drink. Christ will say to the sheep, but to the goats, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. It will be a judgment according to works because works reveal what's inside of us. The believer is not saved because of his works or on the basis of his works. We're saved on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone, his work. But we're judged according to our works because our works reveal whether we've trusted in Christ or not. And those who have not trusted in Christ will be punished with an everlasting punishment. These will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, Jesus said. There's a frightful thing here, isn't there? This is is to be a frightening text. To think of this tremendous day of judgment. In verse 27, Jesus tells us, that he's been given authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Son of Man doesn't just mean he's a man, but the title comes from the book of Daniel, right? It's a title of the Messiah, and Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, I am the King, I am the Anointed One who's been given this authority to judge. Jesus, Jesus, by laying down his life, has been given now the reward to judge all of mankind. As one preacher put it, Jesus emphasizes that God has placed into the hands of his Son the determination of the eternal destiny of every single one of us. And you know what? The resurrection proves it. Remember Paul preaching at the Areopagus in Athens? Paul said, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is the sure proof that Christ has the right to judge and is the guarantee that every single human life will stand before Christ to give an account and to be given heaven eternally or hell eternally. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just all cheery songs to everyone who wants to have an Easter celebration. The resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that every human life will spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. God has appointed the man by which he will judge righteously. And that is to be a frightening thought for anyone who has not believed on the Lord Jesus 
has not confessed sin and fallen down before him and saying, I have no life but you. I have no master but you. But on the other hand, Jesus says, for all my people, it is certainly appointed for you a resurrection of life. As surely as every unbeliever will stand to give an account and be condemned, all the more surely will every one of my people come before my throne to inherit eternal fellowship with God. What a day that will be. 1 Corinthians 15 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead, the body sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Because as the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Christ has become life-giving spirit. We will hear the voice of Christ. Our bodies will hear the voice of Christ. And we will come out. We will come forth to the resurrection of life. You know what that's going to be? You think of those contrasts. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's four of them. Anthony Hookema in his book, The Bible in the Future, he, he helps us think through those four contrasts. The first contrast is between what's sown in corruption and is raised incorruptible. Our current bodies are infected with disease and death, right? We are a dying people. It's only a matter of how long. We're all in the process of dying. But the body that's sown in corruption will be raised incorruptible, not liable to disease. It's raised with a life that can never be destroyed. The second contrast is between that which is sown in dishonor and raised in glory. Hukama writes, We try to honor the dead at the time of burial by dressing them in their best clothes, providing an attractive casket, and surrounding the casket with flowers. But actually, burial involves great dishonor. What could be more dishonorable for a body than to be lowered into a grave? But, he writes, the bodies of believers, however, will be raised in glory. Not just an external kind of glory, but a glory which will transform the person from within, like the glorified body of Christ, radiant, shining, perhaps even dazzling. And then a third contrast, sown in weakness, but raised in power. And, and we are weak, aren't we? Maybe you're even tired tonight. But a long day. We get weary. We get frustrated with our limitations. We can't serve God as we ought. And these bodies, they wear out, and finally we lay them down, utterly helpless. But on the last day, raised in power. What it means, we don't know exactly. But in some wonderful way, the old weakness is gone. And we have a strength with which to serve God eternally without weariness. Fourthly, a contrast between a natural body and a spiritual body. 
And many mistakenly get confused here and they think that we're going to be raised a spiritual body means it's going to be an immaterial, non-physical body. And so they picture souls floating in the clouds and that's precisely not it. But a spiritual body means a spirit-filled body, a spirit-controlled body, a spirit-dominated and directed body. A spiritual body should be written with a capital S. It is the Holy Spirit-filled body. So what a glorious recreation God performs. Hooksima wisely points out that if our bodies are not raised, or if they're raised in a non-physical state, non-materially, then Satan has won a victory. Because then it means that, that sin and Satan have done something to our body that God couldn't fix. But that's not the case. Christ died in the body. And he was raised in the body. And he loves our bodies too. And he will raise and restore them and glorify them. It's a total work of a glorious God. Hukuma writes, we must confess, however, that the Bible tells us very little about the exact nature of the resurrection body. We're given a few hints, but a great deal remains unsaid. In fact, it's, an interesting, it's interesting to observe that much of what the Bible says about the future existence is in terms of negations. Absence of corruption, absence of weakness, of dishonor, absence of death, absence of tears, mourning, crying, pain. We know something of what we shall not experience, but we know little of what we shall experience. All we know is that it will be wonderful beyond our highest imaginations. Words which Paul spoke in another connection are probably applicable here. Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Yes, we will reign with Christ forever and ever. If we have life now, if we've had the first resurrection, and the voice of the Son of God has called us out of the deadness of sin to himself, then we will surely have the second resurrection. And Christ will say, as he said to Lazarus, come forth. And our body sown in all that weakness and corruption, laid in a grave, will arise with glory and power to know and love and serve God eternally. What matters tonight is that you've had the first resurrection, that you're alive from the dead, alive to Christ, alive to his word. And tonight, what matters is that we give glory to Jesus Christ, recognizing that all of this, our first resurrection and our second resurrection, it's all really the story of Christ's resurrection. Because there's no life for any of us if Jesus didn't come to our graveyard, die our death, lay in our tomb, and arise from the dead. But he has, and he's triumphed. And he has triumphed with authority as the Son of Man. And he speaks in all of his love and mercy and power. Come forth. Come to me. And as we perform Christian funerals and grieve over the loss of loved ones, this our great comfort that the day is coming when the voice will sound. 
But what terrifies the hearts of so many will be the sweetest sound in all of the world to us, the people of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for revealing the glory of your Son to us. Oh, we are so dazzled by the things of this world. And we are so blind to the awesomeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us the grace, we pray, to tremble in godly fear before the Son of God, the Son of Man, who speaks with such power. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy that you've been pleased to speak into our dead hearts and to give life. And we thank you that there is a hope and there is a future. That death will not have the last word, but death will yield at the voice of Jesus, and we shall be with you body and soul forever. Oh God, how we pray for those who walk in darkness tonight. We tremble at the thought of the great judge coming and finding people naked and unclothed. Pray, Lord, that you bless us and the mission and assignment you've given us to make known the righteousness of Jesus Christ that many could be cleansed and reclothed and fit to see your face. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.